welcome back to Closer Mentality. I'm your host, Julia Mellet. We're continuing the content of Men's Mental Health Month by flipping the script. Today's guest, Dr. Stephen Harvey, is a sport pedagogist. The field of sport pedagogy deals with the intersection of sport and education. The work that Dr. Harvey does primarily enhances coaches and their abilities to communicate effectively with their players and assistants. Dr. Harvey says the behaviors that effectively pinpoint successful coaches actually start in childhood. Mental skills like sharing and critical thinking can serve as indicators of strong leadership. Superimpose that on the natural hierarchy of sport, and leaders and coaches emerge. For Dr. Harvey, it was his mother who saw his potential. The Harvey family played badminton at a local community center in the United Kingdom, and Dr. Harvey taught his mother how to play. In our field, there are three knowledges you need, I guess, knowledge of your students or knowledge of the people that you're going to coach, the knowledge of the content and the knowledge of then the how to teach. So those three things are kind of going around all the time, but they, you know, you can think about them in a triangle or a Venn diagram where the three circles and they overlap. Um, and, but sometimes one thing will take over from the others. So there's that kind of part of the theoretical aspect. So, but I think a lot of people with coaches think about content first. So it was probably that she saw, oh, this person, as in my son, can play to a decent level. And um, we'll take it from there. Me and my mother would play on the same team because I started playing for her club as well eventually and we would play mixed doubles games together in like match play and I believe that this is then the knowing the person it was as we were playing I was kind of going well I need you here I need you here and she was saying well you need to cover that and you know so we had that kind of relationship I mean I played some men's doubles games with my dad as well and so we always had quite um that type of relationship is a, I guess it's a family unit where we would go and participate together. And, you know, they were mentoring me in a way and I was helping them. So I was doing more of the content kind of side of things, but they would kind of help me out, get more experience in playing the game. And, you know, we always struggle with the transition when we're young players because you have to manage the, the transition between being like, a junior athlete and then playing in the senior game. So playing club with adults was a way to help with that transition. But I would probably say it's the content thing, really, that she would see. His entry into formal coaching came courtesy of Champion Sports UK, where he fine-tuned his coaching style through field hockey and soccer. It was there that his first experience navigating large team sport atmospheres occurred. He had to interpret the characteristics that dictated strong leadership from both players and coaches. Dr. Harvey now works with U.S. soccer to advise elite coaching staffs on how to get the most from their athletes. He teaches six tasks of a coach, coaching games, coaching training sessions, leading the team, leading the player, managing the performance environment, and overall leadership. One of the six tasks of the coach is leading the player and the other one, another one is leading the team. So for sure in those two aspects, one does need to be a leader of people 
there are leaders by example you know where you try and model the behaviors and some leaders do more of that and try and lead you totally lead by example whereas others are a little bit more you know democratic with their leadership behaviors um and so i think that when you're leading the team being a role model is obviously important but there are other facets to being a leader that I guess are important too and sometimes it's knowing when to ask and when to tell and knowing when individuals need something when the team needs something and that kind of thing but certainly developing some type of culture as a leader and also developing a range of values that you stand by and continue to stand by no matter what certainly helps you develop yourself as a as a leader key player qualities that they have are taking initiative as one um, another big thing that i try and stand by is taking responsibility and then another one which is a more sports psychology thing is being focused on the field and that is about demonstrating a prerequisite number of behaviors as a player that then other players will see um, so i think those a three attribute there's six player qualities but they're three of them and those are three that i think i certainly try and talk to my players about all the time and it's good to see when other players start to have conversations away from you that are not just about social aspects but about things that oh hey when i've got the ball here i need you here so i think that that would be one attribute where people are taking initiative um, another thing is you know when you kind of don't need to start telling people to do certain things that you've probably had to tell people to do you know we see in the classroom with our teachers you know you've got rules and routines i guess and when players start to follow those routines so we have a little warm-up that we do like a calisthenic warm-up before games and when coaches get to a stage where players can do that autonomously and are not needing your direction all the time to do some of those day in day out things. I think that that is a signifying factor that you've developed some type of leadership. And again, it's not um, all these players have to do that because I told them what to do, but it's just the fact that they see, they understand rules and routines and can kind of get those things going. But I think the ultimate thing is that if you see in your players, the values that you have as a coach, I think that that's when you start to see um, the fact that people are living and breathing the the type of culture that you're trying to set up and it goes beyond then they're just kind of words on the wall. Although he sees democratic coaching styles as being beneficial to positive team culture, he also alluded to the inherent hierarchy of coach-player relationships. I mean, as coaches, we can make decisions, I guess, about what it is that we... <laughs> want to give up responsibility for especially in the in the short term when we're starting to build the team and the culture or the group because it might be a bunch of individuals coming to train with you as a coach like in a track and field example you might have a training group but it's all really a lot of individuals um which i know team sports are but we're like for me i coach a team so they are a team but i have to also look after the individuals too so i think that um 
you know, we need to um, be mindful a little bit of the individuals and making sure that we have space where we can have a multiplicity of ideas, right? Where we can, like in game-based coaching, when we talk about that, or in inquiry-based teaching and coaching, we, we, we can ask questions and get feedback. We can do think pair shares about certain things. And the irony for coaches is, like I've got young players who are in like elementary slash middle school that these are things that teachers do with the kids at elementary school and um, you know so using a range of cold calling techniques think pair shares open questions and giving players opportunities to discuss um, letting players you know we do a small sided scrimmage sometimes and I let them figure out where we're going to be playing in terms of our for I set, tell them what the formation is and then they put people in the positions so giving up some responsibility to things that maybe will give the athletes a feeling of empowerment but to you it really doesn't make a lot of sense now that's still me being a bit coach centered but the perception of the athletes is that you know they they're getting some uh, buy-in um and so we you know we can talk a little bit about that type of thing and get them to sort of do that constant reflection on right am i doing the best that i can do could i do it you know that little bit better um and i think the final thing is a lot of thing we miss is maybe explaining why we're doing things to for players so if sometimes you explain why you're doing things rather than just going through the drills i think that that's where we develop this net notion of understanding and i think that the notion of understanding is key to developing a and promoting a social moral environment where they, sh they see that a coach cares about them dr harvey said that an open stream of communication is of the utmost importance in all stages of sport and that he's seen the dialogue opening up as young as elementary school-aged athletes. Gone are the days when points didn't count and the game was purely a social atmosphere. Dr. Harvey says that youth sports are a perfect canvas for coaches to become teachers of life skills. Certainly when they get to that, those upper elementary age groups, there's a little bit more cognitive capacity where that metacognition sort of kicking in where doing some of that mental skill training is important. I think there's a implicit agenda with say like my coaching where it is driven a little bit by this notion of, like I told you those three player qualities and there's a lot of an implicit agenda there where you're building kind of one of the four C's which is character. And um, you're trying to do that by getting them to reflect on teachable moments. So we got beat 7-1 the other week, and it was 1-0 to the other team, 1-1, and then we went 2-1 down. And then we had half time and we chatted and whatever. And then we went 3-1 down and slid all the way down. And we got beat 7-1, to and it was a bad day. And we played a game earlier that day, but it was the other team's first game of the day, and that team is a one age group above us so it was a going to be a tough game anyway so we all of us were frustrated we kind of got on each other's case a bit and things like that but we have to use these types of things to be sort of teachable moments so i think that 
my players have a bit at that age have some cognitive capacity to understand how we can use aspects like that to continue to build and grow rather than um take them as you know something we need to dwell on thinking about mental skills and about how you're going to break that down how you're going to communicate that in appropriate language for the group that you've got and um you know knowing your students again and knowing your players you should be able to do that as a as a coach as you sort of move forward but the fact that you would have that thought process to want to develop mental skills and or character and some of the off-field qualities is sometimes a trick that we miss because we're focused on the X's and O's. For coaches of higher level athletes, Dr. Harvey prioritizes reflection. Identifying positive and negative aspects of one's own coaching style and athlete feedback standards is imperative to become a more successful leader. When Dr. Harvey watches a coach, he's tuned into communication styles and catalysts for action, but is equally as focused into when the coach chooses not to speak or act. And a big part of what coaches do initially is scan the environment. And what we do is we recognize patterns. We create uh, catalytic moments where we might decide to then act on certain things, but we don't act on everything that we see. And when we do act, it's based on maybe reaching some type of threshold where um, it might be that we're not happy with a particular player's behavior from a social standpoint, but it also might be a performance standpoint in terms of, oh, the player is not playing up to a certain um, standard, which is a kind of a heuristic that we might have. Um, and so we reach different thresholds for certain things. So we see basketball coaches, a generic threshold might be, you go, as soon as you go more than 10 points down, you take a timeout and that's basketball. Um, and so when we interviewed coaches, these were the types of things that they would talk about. Um, and some of these things were related to performance aspects. Some were related, like I said, to social aspects or team functioning. And some might be related to technical aspects of performance and some might be tactical. Um, so we have this scanning that we do. And then, like I say, we, we have to make decisions about what we do or make non-decisions as in we're not going to do anything about it and then what we do is we um we kind of reflect on those decisions once we've made them so if i make a substitution or a change to personnel on the field because that's quite an easy one or, or i take a time out and then we go back and start playing again has there been any impact of that time out and we go through that reflective process so we build what uh, John and I will call a slow interactive script around what it is that we're doing when we're coaching. Now, a lot of people think that coaching is really intuitive and things like that. Well, it's not, it's really, you know, it's all based around, you know, this, this decision-making process, which speeds up, especially when games get close, you know, in a basketball example, when games get tight at the end, you, you know, that's where you might earn your coin, so to speak, as a basketball coach, because what you do in those finite moments might make more of a difference than, you know, we saw it in the Real Madrid um, Man City game last night in soccer. You know, maybe the substitutions that were made by the one coach had more impact than the other coach um, at Man City. So, you know, how you make those decisions and why you make them, sometimes they come off, sometimes they don't but we reflect on those decisions and then we might need to make 
more decisions based on what it is that we've done. When we're looking at styles, there are a number of things that impact the type of style we use and how we make decisions. But I think trying to, and again, this is a panacea for all coaches, take emotion out of situations and so we have space to think clearly about what it is that we're doing. I think that that's important where we're not always, you know, again, some coaches are quite animated on the sideline and that's fine because they've learned to deal with being animated and sort of do subbing and do everything at the same time. But there's lots going on, um, but we are reflecting while doing. And part of that reflecting is when, again, to step back and and when to step in. So push and pull and knowing when we need to work with the team, individual players, when we need to sub people off, if you're allowed to do that and put them back on and talk to people one-on-one um, and manage the emotion of individual players um, and that kind of thing. But, you know, to the outsider, coaching a game looks easy um, or and coaching looks easy, but there there's all this decision-making that's involved in it. And part of that decision-making is, as you say, what kind of style you will operate in. Dr. Harvey says that he sees breakdowns between players and coaches occur when athletes don't mesh with coaching styles. Introverted athletes are less likely to approach an animated, energetic coach for feedback during a game. In moments like that, Coaches must recognize the needs of their athletes and adapt their styles at times mid-play. Some players are individuals and some people are not going to respond to rah, rah, rah all the time and this, that and the other. And it might be that if you use a particular strategy like that to the whole group and you are kind of infectious and passionate with your energy, someone like that Pep Guardiola, you see him a lot of the time pulling players to one side and talking to them one-on-one. And I think that that's a good way in which you can maybe settle that energy or direct it in a positive way to players who might not always want the rah-rah-rah and the, you know, the, you know, where you can talk to them one-on-one and just take a little bit of um, a breath. I don't think we can take our personality out of the way that we coach. And there are some people that are maybe a little bit more extrovert and introvert. And I think there's no, nothing that I see research wise to suggest that introverts are better coaches and extroverts and things like that. Um, And yeah, there is probably going to be a little bit of a way with the team, depending on the way that you are like these high pressing lots of energy coaches are probably coaches that want the game to be played like that but then again marco bielsa soccer coach wants a high energy soccer game and a lot of the time he's just on the sideline not saying a lot um so i don't think there's a there's causation in those two things if you know what i mean like having a high energy i think it's just um Again, reading what is going on in the situation and understanding how your personality connects with the players and knowing the players and knowing what players might need and what might be different for different players um, and kind of managing your behaviour as appropriate with the different players and their needs. 
Dr. Harvey said the game-based coaching has its own cadence, and it's up to the coaches to figure out when amendments can be made. There are some sports where you have to go out and compete on your own. Like in a field event, you, you do a throw, and then you can go to your coach and see if you know if you need anything to get any feedback. But in a track event, it's you run 400 meters and it's done. Whereas in a soccer game, it's a little bit different because you can observe and make little changes as you go along. Um, but we're not at the professional level, so we haven't had training every day. We haven't had video. We haven't had, you know, so we, we're just doing the best that we can with the group that we have. So it's very difficult to kind of say we should be doing one thing or the other thing. I think it's a matter of, again, coaches understanding what the players needs are at the particular time and using appropriate behaviors and then going back to that plan did you have a plan for the game did you think about what i might do at the start what am i doing in the middle what am i doing you know what have i thought that off oh, the game plan's going to plan i'm just going to sit down i'm going to observe i'm going to reinforce the points if it's not going to plan then i'm going to get up, I'm going to talk to this player, I'm going to talk to that player. Do you see what I mean? And, and yeah. do it that way. When games get chaotic, injuries occur, and directions are shouted from a distance, Dr. Harvey suggests that a liaison, at times a captain, but not exclusively, be utilized as a messenger. You know, it might be bringing someone over from, you know, who started on the bench. Not that means they're a starter or a bench player. You know, it's just this, you know, and you might bring them in and give them some direction about, okay, this is happening. You know, I want you to watch what's happening. Go back and sit down, oh, this is what's happening. This is what I need you to do when you need when you go in. Um, talk to this player and that player about what it is that we're doing. Um, I mean, these are a little bit quite advanced strategies, which goes back to your question about age, about how much they can deal with that. So again, you know, some players are a little bit more, um, developed that way um socially emotionally and things like that so certainly leaning on them for a little bit more assistance um i have a little leadership group that i haven't been using as well as uh, i should have been so maybe it's a case of you know going if some one of them's on the bench and saying hey talk to the the come here talk to the bench about x you know or talking to them i'm going to put you in i'm going to put you in this position i'm going to do this because of this you need to communicate this, this, and this, right? Um, so, you know, like we don't stop the clock in our games, you know, if you're a tournament and things like that. So it's very hard that if a player goes down injured, the clock's running and things like that. So those are opportunities you can, but, you know, we don't get a lot of breaks in play. So you have to do a lot of this by subbing players on and subbing players off. Um, and so, but all the... All of the things you suggested are appropriate techniques, right? Pulling specific players. It might be that we're having a problem with one position, so we have to talk to other people who are in that position, sub off. When they come off, talk to them, put them back on, right? Um, I think key things we do in games is trying to identify what strategy the other team are playing, communicate that to our players. If they've got some key players, dangerous players, make sure that my players know that, there's some go-to players on their team that we need to look out for, things like that. But again, it goes back to this thing, doesn't it? Like, there's so many things to think about that, you know, a lot of people think that coaching a game is easy, uh, but it is a skill and it is one that we can 
get better at. It's just we need to know what it is that we're doing and why we're doing it. In the event that multiple coaches are on the sidelines, Dr. Harvey said that it helps to space assistants out. Find different locations around the arena or court to watch the game from, and radio directions if the overall game plan changes at a moment's notice. I mean, when you look at a professional game now, you know, there's people with earpieces and we know that there's someone watching the game from a tower or a video analyst doing work in the background and feeding information. So I think that that's good. So if I was, say, um, you know, coaching my team and I had an assistant, I would certainly maybe have them think about observing the game from a slightly different position, giving them a strategy of, hey, the first part of the game is us just observing independently and then maybe coming back and doing a bit of a report to me uh, if I was the head coach and then I can decide or ask them questions about what they think they would do about X or Y and then they would go back to their observation position. Um, you know, if we weren't mic'd up. When I coached at um, Field Hockey World Cup, I was the coach, but I'd leave my manager on the sideline and I'd go watch from the other side of the field up a little bit or go into the video tower and watch um, for the first half and then come down to coach from the sideline in the second half. And um, that was good because then I could look at the formation of the different players leave them to do the subbing. We had a little, um, not earpiece, but walkie-talkie. They didn't work the best, but if I felt that we needed to make a sub, I'd tell him what subs to make that was kind of out of our rotation that we'd already had planned. Um, so again, trying to observe from different positions, have, again, a plan of, right, this is what we're going to do for 10 minutes. This is what we're going to do in the middle 10 minutes. This is what we're going to do in the last 10 minutes and breaking down a half into those. And then having a plan for how we operate in like the second period, depending on what happens in the first period, is definitely, um, you know, how I would approach it. And if you've got more coaches, you could have, you know, one in one place, one up in the tower, one on the sideline. And sometimes, like I say, head coaches put their assistants to do the sub subbing because they want to be away from the field. So it it's up to you how... Um, you do that, but certainly getting different vantage points and getting information from different people from different vantage points and perspectives is important. It all comes back to reflection. Dr. Harvey advises coaches to keep a notebook handy to keep tabs on post-practice and post-game self-evaluations, especially over the course of a full season of play. Building up a repertoire based on that experience, reflecting on that experience um, and things like that so that you get kind of a way of doing that works for you and that you have communicated to your athletes and um, that you feel, like I say, it works. Um, and you are able to flex a little bit depending on the game and how it pans out or the competition and how it's panning out. Because there's no point being away from the bench if you're losing 3-0 in the first 20 minutes because maybe they're players need you at the bench just for that, again, social, emotional standpoint and know that you've not written them off. Um, and so I think a lot of what the serial coaches are doing is obviously they've built a culture, they've stuck by a certain set of values. Um, you know, they've recruited and orientated players who they feel exhibit some of those values and behaviors. They're working with them both on the field and off the field. They're taking an interest in their personal lives outside of the sport. 
and obviously you've got um, a good idea on what they bring to the group, um, like a training group and or a team. Um, and, you know, during competitions and games, they've got a highly um, developed, again, repertoire of being able to see things and know when things are um, a little bit out of whack from what their performance expectations are. And they've got then that shared mental model with the other coaches that they work with about when things go not according to the plan. They've already thought about adjustments that they would they would have made. Sometimes with a youth coach, it's just a matter of, you know, we don't necessarily have the time, the technology support, the staff support um, to be able to do all these things. But we can do them in a slightly lower um, grounded version. We just maybe need to think a little bit more critically about what it is that we're, we're doing and, you know, continuing to raise our self-awareness. For coaches wondering what exactly to chart, Dr. Harvey suggested a few topics that are subject to frequent change. You know, substitutions you made at particular times, personnel who were on the field, um, your own kind of demeanor and how that might have been perceived by the players and how that might have changed depending on the scoreline, which there isn't a lot of research about, by the way, which <clears throat> is a good thing that could be done, like how coaching behaviour changes by the scoreline of a particular game. Um, and, you know, trying to have some consistency in what we're doing. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of my reflection is about, like I said, demeanour, emotional attachment to the game, um, thinking about how different players might have perceived the experience, um, you know, in the youth sport domain, how much playing time different players got, um, thoughts about, like I say, changes you might have made depending on the scoreline to try and remain competitive within the game. Um, so these are things that we would be ruminating and thinking about and, you know, then try to devise a bit of a plan of action for the next game out where, you know, you could also think about the preparation, what type of warm-up did we do, how well dialed in with the players to the game, you know, what was the context and conditions, um, you know, the time we played the game at, that kind of thing. Do I need to talk to parents about anything, that, that kind of thing. Um, so those would be a lot of things that I would be thinking about. And then I think from all that information, I would try and make like two or three key things that I would want to do different based on, you know, myself and also, you know, what I might, the adjustments I might want to make with some of the players, like who, which players I might want to talk to individually, what I might want to address in training with the big group and things like that. You know, it's a John Dewey quote, well, we don't learn through experience, we learn by reflecting on experience. And so we have to, you know, go through that constant process and hopefully that spirals up over a period of time where we can learn through the experiences we have and reflect on those and then you know tell the players this is what I'm doing to help us this is what I need you to do and you know hopefully by doing that we can continue to grow and develop and, and move forward and, and and again part of that is communicating that to parents as well you know they, these are this is where we're at. This was the context of this game. 
yes, I understand we're all disappointed and frustrated, but we need to move on. This is how I'm doing it. This is what I would like you to do with your child as well. You know, reinforce these points and, you know, hopefully working together, we can all kind of move, move forward. If there are experiences in and out of sport that you need to reflect on and feel as though the process would be smoother with the help of a third-party resource, today's sponsor is the perfect solution. Nearly all of the athletes and team personnel who tell their stories on Closer Mentality have utilized either a sports psychologist or a therapist. Now, I'm bringing that option to you, the listeners. If you've ever listened to a Closer Mentality episode and thought, I feel exactly the same way, I'm working with BetterHelp to bring online therapy to your phone and computer. BetterHelp offers video, phone, and live chat options, and you can speak to a licensed therapist in less than 48 hours. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp has more than 20,000 licensed therapists around the country, and you have access to them at any time. You can get thoughtful messages from your therapist, and if you aren't happy, it's free to change providers. If you're worried about the cost of traditional talk therapy, BetterHelp also plans for that. They offer financial aid if funding is the only thing standing between you and getting the help you need. Join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. I have a special offer for all Closure Mentality listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com forward slash Closure Mentality. That's betterhelp.com forward slash closer mentality. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. The link is also in the show notes. Thanks so much for tuning into episode 70 of Closer Mentality. As always, I'm your host, Julia Mellett. You can listen to Dr. Harvey and I's full interview on YouTube at the Closer Mentality Uncensored link in the show notes. I've also linked Dr. Harvey's pertinent research on sport pedagogy if you'd like to look further into his findings. Next week, I have an incredible story of one athlete whose family memorialized her in a way that is impacting the nation. See you next week.